Jonah chapter 1, and I'm really excited about this book, and if you've ever um, read this book or studied this book, we're going to start to really find out that you see the compassion of God for the lost. I know my wife taught the book of Jonah, so we're going to see who teaches it better. No, I'm just playing. I'm just kidding. No, she probably will have taught it better. But we're at Jonah chapter 1, and compassion um, that the Lord has for the lost. Why is that so important? The compassion that the Lord has for the lost. Because here we see that Jonah, the minor prophet in God's word, does not have any compassion for the lost. And there he is, a prophet of God without compassion. Think about that, the calling of God. A prophet without compassion. A, A church leader without compassion. A pastor without compassion. An usher, a children's ministry teacher, a greeter without compassion. How easy it is for you to be living your life serving God, but without compassion. Compassion is so needed. It's critical when you're going to serve the Lord, when you're going to live your life after God, that we have compassion. In fact, what we see from Jonah is that he has selfishness instead of compassion. He's filled with selfishness. He's thinking about himself while he's serving God. Has it ever been us? I think we all can say we're guilty of that, that we're saying, Lord, I'm thinking about myself while I'm serving people. And no, I don't want to do that. That's too much. I'm just going to do the bare minimum, whatever is convenient for me. Because most of the time, sadly, when we're walking according to our own desires, we're, we're serving selfishly. We want to be serving selflessly. That's geared with and motivated with compassion. But here we see that he is a man, Jonah, of selfishness. What does that prove? It proves his lack of compassion. See, when you, you start to, to stop to feel the compassion and the love and stop to look at people the way God looks at them, the compassion is gone. And when the compassion is gone, you, you are not going to serve them the way God would serve them. D.L. Moody said it best when he said, The life emptied of self, the life emptied of self is the only kind of life that can be filled with God. I'm going to say that again. The life emptied of self is the only kind of life that can be filled with God. And Christ sends none away empty, but those who are full of themselves. God will not send you away empty today. If you're saying, Lord, empty me of self. Today we must come and say, Lord, I want to be overcome by the cross, not overcome by self. I don't want to be conquered by self. I want to be conquered by Christ. Are you conquered today by self? Are you conquered today by Christ? Because Jonah was conquered by self instead of being conquered by Christ. And therefore, you see him walking opposite of where God has him walking. He's walking opposite of the will of God. Now, we see four major things through the book of Jonah. In chapter 1, we see that his disobedience to the call of God. There's going to be a season in your life where you're going to refuse the call of God. And you're going to say, I do not want the call of God in my life. I, I, I am choosing to put the call of God aside. Number, chapter 1 of Jonah, disobedience to the call of God. Chapter 2 of Jonah, you see the declaration for the need of God now. 
He realizes very quickly after he's running away from God, his personal need for God, declaration for the need of God, chapter 2. Now, chapter 3 of Jonah, you see the destination of the will of God. Is that your destination today? Maybe you, today you came and you were driving in traffic and you were finding out what's the best way to get to church and skip traffic and you plugged it in on your phone and the destination was a live Christian fellowship. Well, every day when you open up your Bible, when you spend time in prayer, the destination on that spiritual GPS is the will of God because that's where we want to be. Chapter 3 was the destination was the will of God. In chapter 4, you see the devotion to the mercy of God. So we have the disobedience to the call of God, the declaration for the need of God. We have the destination of the will of God. And then we have the devotion to the mercy of God. Now Jonah chapter 1 verse 1. Let's read it together. And this is what it says. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Underline that please church. The son of Amittai saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Notice that, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship together for Tarshish. So he paid the fare. Oh, this is incredible here. And he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Here again, from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind of the sea here. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, for your word. We pray, Lord, that you give us, Lord, not only a prophetic word, but the prophetic word through Jonah would be a heart of compassion. Lord, we want to have compassion for the lost, God. We don't want to be consumed with self that we forget about the lost, about the commission of compassion. And I pray, Lord, that you would lead us and guide us today in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, there's a commission here for Jonah, and it starts in chapter 1. It starts in verse 1 where God is speaking to Jonah, and he gives him a commission, and the commission is jam-packed with compassion. You see, when God tells you to do something, he wants you to do it with his heart, not with yours. <laughs> That's amazing about the Lord. The Lord said, I want you to go serve with my heart. I want you to go with my heart, with my intention, with, with what, how I feel about these people. And you see that he disobeys God in chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying. Why is this important? Verse 1. Because the word of the Lord came to Jonah just like the word of God is coming to you. Do you remember back in the day before people were text messaging and, or, or maybe, uh, you know, had different lines of phones, right? And, and, or emails or whatever it is, the forms of communication. You would call someone and that you would get a busy signal. Well, some of us don't remember that, but some of us do. That busy signal, oh, it's busy. I keep calling and it's busy. 
Well, how many times has God tried to call you and the signal is busy? The signal is busy because we're not there attentive to hear from God. It says here, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now Jonah was in a position so that he can hear the word of God. But here he was dull of hearing. He could not hear. He didn't have good hearing to the voice of God. Why? Because maybe he heard, but was he really listening? Was he really listening or was he irresponsive to the voice of God? The voice of God is speaking to you today. Are we responding to the voice of God? Especially when it comes here to evangelism. What is God speaking to Jonah about evangelism? Why is it that every time God wants to talk to the church about evangelism, the church decides to go the opposite way? Because this book is about compassion and this book is about evangelism. But sometimes the church is so consumed with self that when it comes to evangelism, we decide to be a little elusive when it comes to the voice of God. And we don't want to hear. We don't want to apply. We don't want to observe. We don't want to take in the commission of compassion for evangelism. So what does it tell us here? That the word of God came. But when it came to, when it came to evangelism, now Jonah did not want to hear Verse 2, arise, go. These are the same words that the Lord spoke to the church in Acts. Go out. Go out to the world. The Great Commission, go into the world and make disciples to all nations. Arise and go. The church's responsibility is not to sit in church every single week. It goes beyond that. It goes beyond just coming to church service. It, it starts with arising and going now to where? To Nineveh. Where is Nineveh? It's the surrounding community. It, it's your workplace. It's your neighbors. And he's saying, I'm sending you out. I'm commissioning you to this great city of Nineveh. Now in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, we, said, we, we see that Jesus told the disciples, and he said to them, go out to the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What do we see here in Jonah, just like we see in the New Testament? There is a need for evangelism in the church. There is a need for evangelism in the church. If, if, if someone were to ask you today, when was the last time you said the word Jesus out of your mouth outside of church? That you, spoke, you said the word Jesus to someone that doesn't know Him. Would we be able to be able to say, you know what, it, it wasn't too long ago that I was talking about Jesus to my coworker. It wasn't too long ago that I was talking to somebody that came into my work about Jesus. Because today God is telling you and me and all of us as a church to arise and to go. Not to be filled with programs and methods and ministries and, and try to build ourselves something that's really not biblical because what's biblical is to arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it to announce what, what is it, the announcement to, to cry against it, for wickedness has come up before me. Their wickedness came up before the Lord. The Lord said, He's had enough of their wickedness. I want you to go and, 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 and announce. I want you to go and tell them to repent now. He had enough of that great city that was filled. Nineveh historically was filled with pride. It was filled with brutality. It was filled with adultery. And he wanted the Lord to take and send Jonah out there to liberate them from sin and from captivity of that sin, from corruption. You know why God tells you to arise and go? Because He wants to give freedom from sin and from corruption to this world. And maybe He's telling you right now to go to a place where you don't want to go. Because the Lord usually does that. 
He usually sends you to a place where you don't want to go. That's not your preferred place or destination. This wasn't the best place that, that, that Jonah wanted to go. This wasn't on his top to-do list or, or a bucket list of evangelism. Have you ever noticed that every time the Lord puts it in your heart, go talk to that person about Jesus? And you say, Lord, why him? Why can't it be somebody like that person over there that I can go talk to about Jesus? And he always places it on your heart to talk to somebody about Jesus who you normally would not talk to them about Jesus or normally wouldn't talk to them at all. And the Lord does that. He's doing that with Jonah the prophet here. And he's saying, I want you to go to Nineveh, a place where he had absolutely no heart for, but the Lord had a heart for that place. So remember this, the next time the Lord tells you to rise and go, I want you to talk to that person at the gas station. You might not have a heart for that person, but the Lord has a heart for that person. Your coworker and your boss, where you think that they, are, they have the worst personality and attitude, the Lord has a heart for them. And, and this is where it starts. Instead of being full of complaints, we must be full of compassion. What do you expect from the world? They don't have Jesus. What do you expect from your husband, wife, brother, sister, coworker, boss that doesn't know the Lord? What else? The church's responsibility is not to complain against those people. The church's responsibility is to have compassion for them because their number one need is missing, and that is Jesus. Look at them through the lens of compassion and say, they need Jesus. That's what they really need. They don't need a better attitude. They don't need to be nicer. They don't need uh, to, to, to like me more. They need Jesus. That's what they really need. They don't need to have a, a, a softer heart towards me. They need Jesus now. But look what it says now when he says, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, because your wickedness came before me. And understand this, our wickedness will come before God. Our wickedness will surface before God. But Jonah here, now I want you to pay attention because we're so quick to say, Jonah, you are so foolish, Jonah. Why did you go the other way? How many times has the Lord told us, and you go the other way? I, I was reading that and I was so convicted because I thought, but what if the Lord said, but art? <laughs> Put your name in there. But Jonah says, arose. He actually did arise, but he fled to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. You know when you are fleeing now from what God's telling, you're being disobedient. What does disobedience mean? Disobedience means fleeing from the presence of God. The only people that disobey are those that are out of fellowship with God. Out of fellowship with... Jonah here was out of fellowship with God. The prophet was out of fellowship with God. God told him to go and he decided to flee. Do you see that he's running away from what? He's running away from the presence of God. He's out of fellowship with God. He is deviating from God's perfect plan. See, there's a difference between God's perfect will and God's permissible will. And we're going to learn that, that God doesn't, God will allow you to go and disobey Him. But guess what? That is not His perfect will for your life. And sometimes we choose second best. Because we want our will versus God's will. And it says here, He arose from the presence of the Lord and He went, here we go, down. <laughs> That's usually the direction that you're going to go when you're fleeing from the presence of God. The direction that you're going to go when you're fleeing from the presence of God, it's, it's down <laughs> in life. Because he's deviating from God's perfect plan. He's overcome by self or the self-life. And it tells us this in that verse 3. And he, he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare. Look, at, did you understand he's paying 
for disobedience. He's paying the fare for disobedience. Not only when you pay the fare for disobedience, it's going to be very costly. It's going to cost you so much to disobey God. Disobedience leads to disaster. Disobedience is so dangerous, we see here. And it says, and he went again down into it to go with them to Tarshish in the ship from the presence of the Lord. Notice here, the Holy Spirit was so deliberate as he was speaking here and writing this verses that in the same very verse that we have, it says from the presence of the Lord two times in one verse. He is out of fellowship with God. He's running away from God. Are you running away from God today? Are you going the opposite direction from where God wants you to go? Because Tarshish was opposite from Nineveh. Are you going opposite from where God wants you to go opposite from the will of God? He's paying the fare for disobedience. You know what these are signs of? These are signs of carnality. These are signs of the flesh. These are signs of, I know God said to go there, but I'm choosing to go this way instead. These are signs of rebellion. And rebellion, what's, what's at the core of rebellion is pride. What's at the core of rebellion is pride. And the New Living Translation says, But Jonah got up and went the opposite direction to get away from God. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. And he bought a ticket and he went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. How many of us know that no matter what you do, you can pay the fare, you can go on a ship, you can go the opposite direction, but you can't run away from God. There is no way that you can run away from God. And he might obey later, but delayed obedience is just as bad as disobedience, or it's considered disobedience in God's eyes. You're delaying the obedience, right? From the perfect will of God, he's resisting God's will. Now verse 4 tells us this, But the Lord sent out a great wind and sea, and there was a mighty tempest of the sea. So the ship was about to be broken up. Isn't this what the Lord is doing behind the scenes? He sends out now a great storm. Have you ever found yourself in a storm? Some of the storms in our lives are to teach us, but some of the storms in our lives are to break us. <laughs> Did you see how it is that he was about to be broken up? I love that. Because God takes us through some storms to test us. God takes us through some storms to teach us. And God takes us through some storms to break us. And it says that everything was about to be broken up. <laughs> and it said, Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. And sometimes we try through those storms where God wants to break us. We try to say, you know, well, I'll just get rid of this a little bit. I get rid of that a little bit. If I throw this overboard, then I can manufacture and be okay in my direction. I don't care what you do, the Lord said. As long, if you don't take care and deal with the sin... This ship is going down. You see, the ship that maybe we're on is sinking today because of disobedience. This ship that we're on is maybe ready to break up because of rebellion. And look what it says. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship. He was hiding and had laid down and was fast asleep. Verse 5. He was fast asleep. You think you get away, but there's a storm coming your way. And they're crying out to their gods. But Jonah is sleeping 
when he should have been evangelizing. Isn't that the church today? I'm hiding in the church, in the lowest parts of the church. I'm doing children's ministry. I may be teaching Bible studies. I'm doing worship. I'm ushering. Man, look at I'm hiding now here in the church, in the ship. I'm hiding on the ship when God says to go out and evangelizing. The church is sleeping while there's evangelizing that needs to be taking place. You see, we are all in the same lane sometimes where we find ourselves sleeping fast asleep when we should be evangelizing. And, and you see, what, what does it say in Romans chapter 13, verse uh, 11 and 12? Romans, we've read it before and do this knowing that the time is now, that it is high time to what? Awake out of sleep. Jonah was sleeping here. It was time for him to awake out of sleep. Instead of sleeping, he had to be evangelizing. We can spiritually be sleeping today instead of taking care of evangelism. Because we're hiding in the ship. It's easy to be in the ship. It's easy to be in the ship, come in the ship and go out of the ship. And there's no evangelism ever taking place. Sound asleep, but there are people that need to be reached that God has already called. And notice this, his disobedience is also going to set up for pitfalls for those around him. Sometimes we think that our own disobedience is only going to affect us, but his disobedience was affecting everyone that was on that ship. And you maybe are in your house right now, and you're saying, well, my disobedience, no one's going to find out in the ship of my house, but your disobedience is also going to affect everyone else that's on that ship. Do you, do you notice that right there? It, it, disobedience it will only lead to disaster even with those that are closest to you. So the captain came to him and said, what do you mean, sleeper? <laughs> Underline that church list. What do you mean, sleeper? God's calling you to evangelize to that person. What do you mean, sleeper? What do you mean today? Why are you sleeping? Why is it that you've disobeyed the Lord and gone opposite of the will of God? What do you mean by this, sleeper? Arise, call to your God. Perhaps your God will consider us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots so that they may know whose cause this trouble had come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Don't you know that God is sovereign? The word sovereign means that God is in control. Though They said, awake, wake up. Cry out to your God, therefore your God, maybe He hears us and there's no disaster. So they cast lots or almost as if throwing dice to see whose fault or who is responsible for the storm. And God allowed it for all the lots to be pointing towards Jonah. <laughs> Have you ever felt like the Lord said, you know what? If you're going to run away, then I'm just going to make it obvious that all of this is because of you. Your, your stiff neck, your hard heart, your rebellion. Now all the lots pointed over to Jonah. Jonah gets the lot here. And in verse 8 it says, Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? What do you, where do you come from? Where is your country? And what people are you? See, they're asking him, Alright, Jonah, lots fell on you. What are you about, Jonah? Hey, come on, Jonah, spit it out. So he said to them, I'm a Hebrew or I'm a Jew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Man, all of a sudden, Jonah is an expert in theology. <laughs> this man that's running away from God says, I fear God, the God of heaven, the God of the creation, the God of you know, uh, uh, all, all, all creation, the sea and the dry land. He starts to exalt God. I mean, do you think about the hypocrisy? Yes, I'm a Christian. Absolutely, I'm a Christian. No evangelism taking place. Uh, does that, does, I mean, do you, do you really say... Can we really say we fear God? 
when there's no evangelism taking place? Can you really say that you, are, that you fear God when you're living in disobedience when it comes to evangelism? He's saying, I fear God. I'm an expert in theology, the God of heaven, the creator of the sea and the dry line. However, there was disobedience happening in his life because he did not want to evangelize. Think about this hypocrisy. Some of the times the church is so consumed with want to be theologians. And God said, I just want you to simply be evangelists. Theology is good, but without evangelism, how good is it? How good is it? How good is it? We want to brag about how much we know, but we're not willing to share. See, this is so important because now look what they, what they tell him. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Notice that Jonah didn't pray. Notice that they told him to pray, but he decided not to pray. Why did Jonah not pray? Because he knew it was useless to pray when he was living in disobedience. You know what the only, the, the, the Bible tells us very clearly that, that if we are living in a lifestyle of disobedience, we're crying out to God for Him to deliver us before we repent, that's not, the Lord's not going to hear that prayer. In Psalms 66 verse 18, it says, If we regard iniquity, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the psalmist said, the Lord will not hear. If I regard iniquity in my heart, if there is sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Just because you're praying doesn't mean He's listening. If I regard iniquity, Psalm 66, verse 18, the Lord will not hear. James 5, 16, what does the Lord say about prayer there? When He's talking about Elijah, confess your trespasses to one another. Confess and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of, what? of a righteous man avails much, is effective. The, what does it say? The effective, fervent prayer of not the wicked man, not the lukewarm man, not the disobedient man, of the righteous man. God hears the righteous prayer. God doesn't hear the prayer that's full of a, with a lukewarm heart. He doesn't pray because He understands that God's not going to listen to a heart that doesn't come from righteousness. So it says, So the men were exceedingly afraid and told them what should they do because they knew now that the hardships were because of the fact of rebellion. See, some of the hardships that we go through are due to rebellion. The hardships, they're unnecessary. Then they said to him, What shall we do that they may, the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. Do you see that the sea was growing? The storm was growing. And they want to know, What can we do? And, they said, pick, and he said, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. They, I mean, that just has to sound like a funny line at that day. He told him, pick me up, draw me into the sea, and the sea will become calm. You want some calm in your storm? And look what Jonah says, get rid of me. I'm the issue. Throw me in the water, for I know this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to the land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Do you see how they started to row hard? Have you ever been in a storm and when God says, I want you to get rid of that, instead of you getting rid of it, you want to row harder because you want to go against the storm. I want to row hard. I'm going to make it to the land. I'm going to make it even through the storm. I'm going to make it against my will. There's sin on the ship and I'm not going to get rid of the sin. Instead, I'm going to row harder and it's only heavier. The storm gets heavier and stronger against your life. Why? Because you're trying to do it your way. And now it says in verse 14, Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray. 
O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done it as it pleased you. So they said, O Lord, the God of Jonah, it's really you. If you, we really have to uh, now throw this man overboard, then don't charge us and let us be innocent of the blood of this man. We do not want to be responsible. So they picked up Jonah and they threw him into the sea and the sea seized from its raging. Think, I mean, we've read this story growing up at church. But they threw Jonah and what happened? They took away and they threw the sin overboard and what happened? There was an instant calm. Do you know that when you get rid of that thing or that person out of your life and you throw that overboard from the ship and where God has you there is an instant calm to the storm that you're going through we have to pray Lord what do I need to get rid of or who do I need to get rid of overboard what need what needs to get overboard today in my life what needs to go overboard instead of me rowing harder why don't you just get rid of some stuff that's on the ship Instead of me growing, growing harder, why don't I get rid of some things that don't belong? The reason why we think that we need to row so hard is because we're carrying a lot of things that don't belong. Notice, the Lord said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's only light like that when it's in obedience. Because some of the times we make it so hard because we're carrying a lot of things that do not belong. Now, verse 16, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. What do they do? They, they, the Lord shows Himself strong because there is an exceeding now calm now. And we see that they start to look to the Lord. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and the Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That's a, such a prophetic piece of Scripture. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, you know, when the Lord prophesied, just like Jonah was in the belly of a fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be, you know, in the grave for three days and three nights, and afterward he will resurrect. What a typology we see here through Jonah and prophecy, a minor prophet of a picture of Christ later in the New Testament. But it said the Lord had prepared. I want you to underline the Lord had prepared. Because that's the Lord's sovereignty. There wasn't just a, a random whale that just all of a sudden just like, whoa, you know what? Here, I'm going to swallow Jonah. <laughs> the Lord prepared that. It wasn't by chance. The Lord prepared a fish. The Lord prepared later a plant. The Lord prepared a wind. The Lord prepared a worm. The Lord was preparing these things. And these things that were happening in Jonah's life, the prophet, weren't by chance. They were not by coincidence. Sometimes you think, well, I'm going through this, this storm right now, but you know what? These things are happening by coincidence. The things that are taking place in my life, none of it was by coincidence. The Lord prepared it. This was part of God's plan. And it said, then Jonah prayed to the Lord. Look at his prayer in chapter 2 as we go through it, because now is the declaration to the need of God. See, your disobedience sometimes, and I, and I pray it does, take you to a declaration where you pray and say, you know, I need God more. Where you acknowledge God and you acknowledge the help and you thank Him for the help. Because Jonah here, he's about to do this. He's about to realize that he cannot run away from God. And this is the prayer that you hear from someone that realizes, I can't run away from God. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. Then now he starts to pray. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And He answered me. See, he was already thanking God for a prayer that had not yet been answered. 
I cried out to God and He answered me. This is such a psalm that he's praying. We're going to start to see that here. I cried out to God for my trouble and He answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. What is Sheol? What is it? A, a, a sign of, of, of a pit, right? Or the grave. I called out to God from the dead. Have you ever felt like you were there in the dead? I cried out to God from the grave. I called out to God from the dead and you heard my voice. You see... He understands that the Lord hears the voice of those that are repenting. For you cast me into deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. Have you ever felt like the floods are surrounding you? You are part of the storm, and the floods are surrounding you, and they're so heavy against you. And it says here now, and all your billows and your waves pass me over the storms, and the waves are crashing against me. Verse 4. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, or I've been cast out of your presence. Why? Because of disobedience. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple from running away from the presence of God to looking towards the presence of God. I will look again. I will look again. I will look again. Look at this. Where are you looking? Are your eyes fixed on Him? Are your eyes fixed again on His presence? Fixed again on the presence of God here. The waters surrounded me even to my soul. What is he talking about here? He's been hopeless. Notice that when the storms, the waves, the grave, when you're running away from God, you become very hopeless. The waves surrounded me even my soul. The deep closed around me. He, was, he felt like he was drowning, suffocating here. The weeds were wrapped around my head. He was being choked out. Think about this picture that he's painting here that as, as to what the Lord did. I went down to the mornings here of the mountains and the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. He was trapped. Now he was enclosed. Now he was snatched away from the jaws of death from the land of the dead. Yet you have brought me up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God. Have you ever felt like you were maybe enclosed or trapped in prison from the jaws of death? Look what he says as, he's re, as he was saying this. He said, the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. I felt like there was no way out. This is a, this, I love this type of prayer because he's not praying. And he's not, you know, sometimes we pray and we want to pray all night. We want to be all theological. We want to give a little devotion on our prayer. Right? Minister to people while we pray. And the prayer is not even to, to God. It's mostly for the people, for them to know how spiritual we are. These are the most spiritual prayers when you're crying out to God like this. There is nothing more spiritual than repentance. There is nothing more spiritual than repentance. The only prayer that you should be ashamed about is the prayer that was never prayed and the prayer that never had repentance. Well, you think about this. When my soul fainted in me, verse 7, when I sank deep here, I remember the Lord. Again, I looked to the Lord. He said in verse 3 and in verse uh, 4, but now he's telling us in verse 7, I remember the Lord and my prayer went up to you. When you remember God, he's learning to depend on God. He's being humbled by these times of trouble. Verse 7, it says, and, I, and my prayer went up to the Lord into your holy temple. What, what is prayer good for? To renew your commitments in prayer. That's why we come on Fridays at 7.30 to renew our commitments with God and to intercede in prayer and say, Lord, we come in repentance. 
Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own, for their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving is filled with thanksgiving as well. Those who are worshiping worthless idols, he calls them, they don't understand, they don't know, forsake their own, forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. He praises God and he said, you know what? I'm going to praise him with the voice of thanksgiving and I will do and pay what I have vowed. What, what, is he, what has he vowed? He's vowed his repentance. He's vowed his obedience now. And he spoke to the Lord saying, "You only through you there is salvation. Verse 10, so the Lord spoke to the fish. I love this. The Lord first spoke to Jonah. The Lord prepared the fish. And then the Lord spoke to the fish. Do you not know that God speaks to his creation? The Lord said right here that he spoke to the fish. I always think it's so awesome when you go out and you start to hear all the beautiful animals and their sounds and the whales. And, and, and they're so awesome to be able to know that some of the sound waves of what uh, the whales do, the human ear can't even hear it, but they're taking place. Did you know that? And they're worshiping their creator and the, the creator is, is speaking to the fish now and it vomited Jonah on dry ground. But see, now in chapter 3, he goes now to the destination of the will of God. First, he went from the disobedience of the calling of God. Then he went to the declaration of the need of God. But chapter 3, in these 10 verses only, we're going to see that his destination now is the will of God. I pray that today you would change the destination on a few things. Because it said, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, underline second time. Because God is the God of second chances. When you repent, He will start speaking again. The word of the Lord came the second time. I love this. Will you obey the second time? You didn't obey the first time. Will you obey the second time? God is so patient. He's so long-suffering. He's saying, okay, you didn't obey the first time. Will you obey the second time? Again, the same message. Sometimes people say, you know, well, you, you teach the same thing. Uh, the Lord teaches, gives the same message until you get it. The message in chapter 3, verse 2, is the same message of chapter 1, verse 1 to Jonah. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and preach to it the message that I will tell you. Isn't that amazing? What does he tell him? The same message. Sometimes the church needs to hear the same message again. Sometimes the church needs to hear the same message again. Because if you don't obey, then why do you want a new message? You haven't obeyed the message that you already heard. Sometimes we want a new word from God when you haven't obeyed the, God, the word that God already gave you and you're holding on to. What good is it to have a new word from God when you haven't obeyed the one that He gave you? So He said a new, He said He gave Him the same message. Arise, go, I'm going to give you a message. I'm going to give you now a word to them. So Jonah arose and went. Now, obedience. But what would happen if we were obedient to go when God said to go? This was now a man that was about to be used for revival. Because he actually went. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city of a three-day journey in extent. He had to walk for three days. But now you see the voice of the prophet in verse 4. And Jonah began to enter the city the first day and to walk. Uh, on the first day's walk. And then he cried out and said, you, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Forty days. What was the number forty? Is the number of judgment. In forty days there's going to be judgment that's going to come upon the city if they don't repent now. 
He's speaking a message of repentance. Notice that. So the people of Nineveh believed God. Well, wait, what? They will never believe God, you think. That, that person will never give their life to the Lord. But when was the last time you told them about Jesus? These people actually believed God. There was a, a preacher one time that went up to Charles Spurgeon, who was called the Prince of Preachers, and told Charles Spurgeon, pastor, evangelist, no, I, there's nobody ever is going to get saved when I preach. They're never going to come to the altar. They're never going to accept Jesus. And Charles Spurgeon said, do you actually think that someone's going to get saved every single time that you teach? Oh, no, I don't think that. There's your problem. That you actually don't believe that people will get saved. Do you believe that people will get saved? Do you believe that God still wants people to become saved? You know, sometimes we don't believe that people are going to get saved. And that's the problem. That's the problem. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed the fast. I love this because these are signs of repentance, fasting. You always know when someone's repented when they have a desire to fast. Proclaim the fast and put on sackcloth, which was a sign of mourning, from the greatest to the least of them. Verse, look, it says in verse 5, sorrow for their sins. A lot of people, man, I, bro, I, I'm, I'm repenting. And you're out, you're out there having the best time of your life. Forget your Bible all the time when you come to church, but you're repenting. Huge smile on your face, like the best day of your life. But that's repentance. That is not repentance. Repentance is sorrow for your sins. Lord, I'm, I'm repenting. Sorrow, I can't even speak. I'm fasting, I'm mourning right now because of the sin. That is true repentance. That's true repentance. I'm repentant, but I just, I don't go to church, but I'm repentant. You're not repentant. What are you talking about? Having a good time right now. But look what it says here. For the greatest release, and the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe. This is, and covered himself with sackcloth and ashes, and in ashes. This is what's needed in a lot of Christians today. Arise from that little throne you think you have and put aside now your robe. Cover yourself up with ashes. There's a lot of us that were sitting on this little throne that we've created for ourselves with, with the robe. The robe of royalty. The king said, no, there's no way. He rose from that throne and he took off his Robe and covered himself with ashes, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published. Proclaim and publish it. I love those two words, how they're strong they are. Proclaim it and publish it. Make it public. Make it public that you're changed. Proclaim it and publish it. No undercover Christians, no undercover repentance. Stand for repentance. Proclaim it and publish it. Why were we so quick to proclaim and publish when we get a new car? <laughs> oh, we get a new house. And we get a, you know, a new job or a new promotion. We proclaim in public staff. When was the last time you proclaimed in public some change in your life and saying, I'm standing for the Lord because the king said throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles saying, let neither man nor beast, no herd nor flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. He said, no one's going to eat or drink, not even the animals. Man, that was a, that was a straight up fast. <laughs> No one's going to drink or eat, not even the animals. Talk about here this animal cruelty, right? Not even the animals were going to eat. They're going to be fasting as well. 
This was a sign of repentance. I want everyone to repent and I want everyone to turn to the Lord from their evil, from the violence in their hands. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry to the mighty God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from violence of what is in his hands. Look at what's in your hands today that doesn't need to be in your hands. Because the king said everyone is going to turn from their evil wickedness and from everything that's filled with their hands. Why? Because there's judgment coming. This was a warning. God is so patient and so long-suffering that He gives you warnings. He gives, are you listening to the warnings? Are you listening to the warnings from the Word of God? Verse 9, who can tell, who knows if God will turn and relent and turn away from His fierce anger so that we may not perish? Who knows, God in his, all His mercy, God in his, all His love may turn His evil ways and stop from all the judgment that he's intended to bring here. Then God saw their works. They had turned from evil way and God relented. Isn't that amazing that God relents? That God holds his back from judgment? He turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said that he would bring upon them and he did not do it. Why did he not do it? Because he saw their works of repentance. He saw the fruits of repentance. So God, what did He do? He did not carry out the destruction. God answered the prayer of the repentant and He had mercy. I want you to write down in your Bible a little side note there. Isaiah 55, 7. Isaiah 55, 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the righteousness man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord from backsliding. And you have mercy on him and to our God, for he, is in a, he will abundantly pardon. He will abundantly forgive. Those that are backslidden, he will abundantly forgive. Isaiah 55, 7. No matter what situation, no matter how far you have gone, God will abundantly forgive. Now lastly, in the last 11 verses as we read through them, you see the devotion to the mercy of God. The disobedience of the God of God. Then you see the declaration for the need of God. Then you see the destination for the will of God. Now you're going to see the devotion to the mercy of God. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Jonah was upset. Are you, are you serious? The church is packed out with people and you're mad? <laughs> you know, what is the reason to be upset about? And he became angry. Why, do he, why is he angry? Because he's selfish. And he lacked compassion. He knew, and look what it says. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, what not, was not this what I had said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant, loving kindness, and one who relents from doing harm. You know why I didn't come in the first place, God? Because I knew where you were just going to forgive them. And he starts to get upset at them because God shows them grace and mercy. Because he thinks they didn't deserve it. And still God and His almighty love and grace and mercy saves them. You see, it is so sad when we lose the compassion that God has for people. When we say, they're not worth it anymore. Jonah started to think that in his heart. It's not worth it. God, you're just going to forgive them. And we get upset because God lets, in His grace and mercy, forgives because we don't want them to be forgiven because they've hurt us. And, and, and we don't, we, in our heart, there's no way we justify that type of forgiveness. And, and we, we just don't want to go through it because we lack compassion. 
But God is abundant in loving kindness. He relents from doing harm. Verse 3, it says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. So now, not only does he do this, but now he's complaining to God. And he's doing this with a bad attitude. That he says, it's better for me to die because he's disgusted now with these people's sin. Oh, it's better for me to die, Lord. What a bad attitude to serve the Lord. Right? He complained to the Lord and, and he's talking to the Lord and saying, uh, you know, I know that you're filled with so much unfailing love and you're not going to destroy them. You see, in Psalms 145, verse 8, it says that the Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He's slow to anger and He's great in mercy. And just like He's slow to anger and great in mercy to you, He's also slow to anger and great in mercy to those that maybe you don't like. Those that you don't like, those that you don't want to forget. Why is it that our heart is hard like Jonah sometimes and angry? Angry at those that need Jesus. Right? It says, then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? And maybe he's asking you, is it right for you to be angry at that person? Instead of having compassion, why are you angry at him? He needs the Lord. She needs the Lord. Why are you angry? Why are you, if we're battling with anger, may the Lord take that away from us today. Do you battle with anger towards people, resentment? It says here, So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. And there he made a shelter and sat under it in a shade so he might see what would become of the great city. Jonah still, he sees the Lord forgiven and he goes and sits down by the shade and says, All right, let me watch the Lord destroy the city still. Because <laughs> he didn't think that they were going to really be saved. Have you, ever, have you ever thought, you know, the Lord forgave them, but you know, they're just going to go back. And we just sit here and watch them fail again. And Jonah sits down to just ready to see people fail. Why are we always ready to see people fail? And people are so ready to see me. You see someone get saved. That's not true. It's fake. You know what? Let's just wait. Time will tell. Right? And we're almost like, let's sit down in the shade and wait for them to fail. Here we are on our, on our self-righteousness. I'm just going to wait. Instead of saying, thank you, Lord, because you've forgiven that person. Thank you, Lord, because of your grace and your mercy. Because look what it happens. And the Lord God prepared a plant. I love God is always preparing things for you and for me. And it made it come over Jonah that he might be shaded for his head and deliver him from the misery. So Jonah was very grateful for this plant. All of a sudden, Jonah is very grateful. Look at the spiritual man of God. But, the, but as the morning dawned here, the next day God also prepared a worm. He's going to test his attitude. And it says here now, And so it damaged the plant and it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind you see, God prepared, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and he wished death for himself. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. Now he wants to, he's complaining now. God is always preparing for every season and making the necessary preparations for our lives. But here he's complaining now. And he wants to die. Now God said to Jonah, it is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, is it right for me to be angry even to death? He told the Lord, yeah, it's right for me to be angry even for me to die. He's talking back to God. The Lord said, is it right for you to be angry about this plant? He said, yeah, it's so right for me to be angry even to the point of death. I, I, yes, I'm angry, God. I deserve to be angry. How many times have you stood before the Lord and said, I deserve to be angry? And, and the Lord says this. But the Lord said, you, you have pity on this plant. For which you have not labored nor made it grow, which you have come up in night and perished in a night. You had, you had more compassion on this little plant 
that you did nothing for it, that in one day it grew and in one day it perished, had absolutely no significant value whatsoever, that, it, that its life was so small, it was so temporary, so quick, you did nothing for it, you had more compassion for that. And should I not pity Nineveh? Should I not have compassion over, that Nineveh, over Nineveh, the great city in which more than 122,000 persons who could not discern between the right and wrong in their left and much livestock? Should I not have compassion for 122,000 that have no discernment between right and wrong? Why is it that we don't have compassion for those people that do not have discernment, that are living in spiritual darkness? They cannot tell now right from wrong. And guess what? The way we look at them, we look at them like they're wicked people. Their sin is wickedness. But God loves them and He wants to what? Show grace, compassion. He wants to see them repent so that they can get saved. And the reason why we cannot see salvation happen is because sometimes we care more about material things than we care about salvation. What do you care more about? Do you care about material things or do you care about spiritual things? Because here, God tested Jonah and He found out quickly that Jonah was more concerned about his commodity than he was about his compassion. He was more concerned about his comfort than he was about compassion. Or what are you concerned more about? Are you more concerned about your comfort or are you more concerned about compassion? You see, when we are filled our hearts with anger, we're not going to be able to have compassion and we're not going to be able to see salvation. Let us not be filled with complaints or even these great theology principles, but let's be filled with a heart that's saying, I don't want to delay my obedience. I want my destination to be the will of God. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, God, and we pray, Lord, right now, God, that you would continue to demonstrate, Lord, your will for our lives, God. And maybe right now we're running away from you, God, and we're not hearing your voice, God. We want to hear your voice. We want to be here, Lord, and, and cry out to you, God. I ask, God, that you would speak to your church. You would show us that, Lord, how much we need you, Lord. And that we would have a heart for evangelism. That we would have a heart to see people get saved. Not a heart to see them fail, but a heart to see them come to you. We pray for our family members that don't know you. That you would, Lord, reach them and touch them, God. In Jesus' name, together we said.